0: Dear listener, we're back. It's episode 160. It feels like only a feels moment like ago. It feels like I never left the studio.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and here we are. So yeah, if you're listening for the first time, this is a continuation of episode 159 and best to go back to at least the end of that one to catch up with where we are. So, dear listener, I uh, I'd, I'd finished off by confessing to my subscription to The Australian and how that was probably going to lead to a little bit more criticism of the left and one of the articles that's come up is in relation to sexual assault at our universities and this is, this is a great example of why I do need to subscribe to the Australian because we've got the same story we've got the Human Rights Commission I think it's Human Rights Commission is it let me just see here um, uh, yeah Human Rights Commission um, did a survey of university students as to whether they'd been sexually harassed or assaulted on university campuses. And I've got an article here from ABC News and I've got an article here from The Australian. They're both talking about the same report and they couldn't be more different. It's amazing how differently they are treated. So. The ABC, and I think, gentlemen, we're probably going to come down on the side of the Australian in terms of their interpretation of this, or not?
2: Well, I would have thought so, yeah. Tough man.
1: Sadly, it would appear that that's uh, what's going to happen, because, I mean, as as strongly as I think we all support the ABC, Mm. there I've noticed, and I've mentioned it to you guys in conversation, a very um uncritical approach they have to choosing their material r- r- of late right okay Do you know what i mean they publish so called opinion pieces and it seems to me they they're very um what would what would you say they're very lacking in substance in in facts and and very strong on social justice opinion right okay
0: yep Anyway, dear listener, here's, here's the ABC version, which is a survey of university students by the Human Rights Commission found more than half of respondents were sexually harassed on at least one occasion last year.
1: Well, 50- what, it was 2016 yeah. was the survey, wasn't
0: yes, it? Yes, yep. Yeah. 51% of students were sexually harassed at least once in 2016, the commission found. That seems a lot, 51 well, one in four students was sexually harassed in a university setting on at least one occasion in 2016. A university setting includes on-campus, travelling to and from uni and off-campus events organised by the uni and endorsed by it. So, in other
1: words, almost anywhere.
0: Exactly. So, but the headline is, half of students harassed at least once in 2016. Meanwhile over on the Australian, courtesy of my new subscription, which I'm still feeling dirty about.
2: (laughs) You'll get used to it. (laughs) The article
0: by Bettina Arndt, um, headline, young women are quite safe at university and should be told that. Referring to the same report. Mm. Good news. There is officially no rape crisis on our campuses. That was the headline story in The Australian exactly a year ago after the Human Rights Commission released the results of the survey. It was disappointing news for feminist activists who had conducted a long campaign arguing that campuses were unsafe for young women. Yet they managed to influence media coverage to disguise the reassuring survey results showing only 0.8% of students claimed to have been sexually assaulted in the previous year, even using a broad definition that included being tricked into sexual acts against their will and incidents during travel to and from campus. Um, All they came up with was high incidents of low harassment, mainly involved staring at sexual jokes or comments. So essentially what Bettina Arndt points out is that the survey... uh, when it included sexual harassment at university included public transport to and from the university
1: yeah i remember when the report came out and i thought that was a big stretch just bizarre that it's bizarre and 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 also as you said including staring strange looks whistling um, and You know, Mm. gratuitous comments, I suppose.
0: Just quoting back from the ABC one in the fine print, it says, the report found the most common sort of sexual harassment included inappropriate leering or staring, sexually suggestive comments or jokes, and intrusive questions about someone's private life or physical appearance. And this was all under the category of sexual harassment. So when you read what harassment included... And if you read that it included travelling on public transport to and from the uni and at university social events, so, you know, they go away on sporting trips and other activities that get organised by residential houses as well, it's it's a whole range of conduct that isn't actually on the university campus at all and a whole range of conduct which staring so... Somewhere between the two articles lies the truth yeah. and it seems to be a lot closer to the Australian side mm. than the ABC yeah. side, I think.
2: Which is really very disappointing that the ABC allowed themselves to tart something up the way they did.
1: You know? mm. They certainly have been allowing it and um, pushing it quite strongly. Mm. But it's, um, it's interesting, isn't it, because Bettina aren't... Is no stranger to the, you know, the women's liberation movement. In yes. fact, she would be probably closer to the second wave uh, than a lot of the women currently, you know, hmm. um, offering their opinions. And um, she's she's quite strong, uh, strongly in in what she says. She says universities are about one hundred times safer than the general community.
0: Hmm. Yeah, there was some um, some other statistic. Let me just see if I can find it. Uh, she says, New South Wales Bureau of Crime Statistics and Research found universities, yeah, to be 100 times safer than the general community. Yeah, New South Wales Bureau of Crime Statistics and Research. I mean, your gut feeling is, on a university campus, you're as safe as you are anywhere. I mean, if it's dark and you're walking to a car parked... In a sh- Which applies it, anywhere, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it'd be the same as any park anywhere, but you just don't have this gut feeling sense of a crime wave of yeah. sexual harassment. And,
1: and, and it's the language used by mm. the people who claimed this, you know, more than 50% figure. Yes. And they repeatedly used the word epidemic, rape epidemic. Right. Not not staring epidemic, yeah. rape epidemic. Mm. And that's that's a pretty pretty strong claim, isn't yeah. it? And they need to back it up.
0: Yeah. So I mean I had a daughter who went to university and I never felt you know, oh gosh, she's off to uni, I hope nothing bad happens to her. But if she was walking late at night on her own to a car, whether it was at university or the park down the road in our suburb, I'd be equally worried. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So um so there we go. That's yes. why we need the listener to get out of our bubble and Echo Chamber and, uh, you know, right-wing Tony reading The Australian all the time gets all of their economic
1: um, <laughs> indoctrination, which, of course, yeah. But interestingly, Bettina Arndt was due to give a talk at La-, La Trobe University about this too, wasn't she? Yes. And the university at some point decided uh, they didn't want it to go ahead.
0: Keep saying all the time, we follow American models Mm. so much. And Scott, in the three years of this podcast, we mentioned a lot about stuff happening at American universities and with this sort of thing where guest speakers are being Mm. deplatformed. It makes. And and it hadn't happened here yet, but now it's happening. It's beginning to happen now. What,
2: what What I find really ridiculous about this whole thing is that they. Deplatform people who are from the right side of the ledger i'm not saying correct i'm saying right mm. and it's treating people like they're all precious little snowflakes mm. who can't possibly hear a contrary opinion
1: i've never thought of Bettina Rantas as being right wing have you
2: I didn't know much I mean, about her.
0: No, it, no. no, she, no. She,
1: she used to give a lot of sort of sexual advice for exactly. couples, and sexual education, yes, and, yes, and, yeah. and advice to women yeah. on how to to be fulfilled humans. Yes, yeah. So she's
0: very sort of, a, and not
1: only not only women. I should say. I yeah. mean, she she's the sort of person who was so deeply. Uh, into studying human sexuality. She was giving advice to everybody, male yes. and female.
0: Yeah. I always had the impression her heart was in the right place in Me that sort of thing. Me too. So she wasn't an Alex Jones from InfoWars sort of character arriving on campus. No, to she's stay not, in trouble. but
2: you know, you don't have yeah. many of them in Australia, you
0: know. No. But we've got a university that was prepared to
1: ban her from speaking. Which so. makes
2: absolutely no sense whatsoever. Well
1: it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, it says um University administrators told the club, which was the La Trobe Liberal Club, that the talk could not take place because the topic and quotation marks didn't align with the values of the university and the strong campaign they've been running against sexual violence on campus.
0: Yeah. And she's just telling the facts. She's looking at the same statistics from the same report and saying, well, here's how I interpret those. Yeah.
1: So clearly they weren't interested in a diversity of opinions. They were just interested in uh, deplatforming somebody who challenged their assessment of the situation. Mm.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're allowing Amazon into this this country. (laughs) And, And here's an article from The Atlantic. Last month... Bloomberg reported that Jeff Bezos, 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 B e z o s, the founder of Amazon and owner of the Washington Post, has accumulated a fortune worth one hundred and fifty billion. That is the biggest nominal amount in <coughs> modern history. And doing extraordinary all right. in any way you slice it. Bezos is the world's lone hecto billionaire. He is worth, um, he's got about 50% more money than Bill Gates. (laughs) Twice as much as Mark Zuckerberg. 50 times Oprah, get 100 times as much as Trump. Who knows? He's gotten 50 billion richer in less than a year. He needs to spend 28 million a day just to keep from accumulating more wealth. Mm. Unbelievable numbers.
2: But but he treats his workers like shit. <laughs> so
0: he's making a lot of money. Surely if the trickle-down theory works, then all of his employees must be doing fantastic. No. <laughs> Same article. In contrast, half of Amazon's employees make less than 28400 a year as per the company's legal filings. Some workers have complained of getting timed six-minute bathroom breaks. uh, Amazon denies that. Warehouse workers need to pick up goods and pack boxes at closely monitored speeds, handling up to 1,000 items and walking as much as 15 miles per shift. And contractors have repeatedly complained of wage and hour violations and argued that the company retaliates against whistleblowers. Amazon itself paid no federal corporate income taxes last year, despite making billions of dollars in profits. No. Amazon's starting wage is about $5 an hour below the country's national living wage. And its median full-time wage is a full dollar below that.
1: Um, It's not a good look for Jeff, is it? He doesn't care. (laughs) Um, He honestly doesn't care. And this is the
2: whole... Here's the other
0: thing. Amazon contracts... Uh, have required employees to promise that they will not work for any company that directly or indirectly competes with Amazon for 18 months after leaving the firm. And when you consider the breadth of stuff that Amazon does, that's a lot of companies you are banned from working for for 18 months. Do you listen listener, that? that can't happen in Australia.
1: That, that, yes, I was just all... going to ask, is yeah. that possible in Australia? I would no, it's have thought not, that's an possible. extraordinary thing to it's, expect. It's not possible. To agree to. You know, somebody picking,
0: you know, stuff can't work for another company that picks stuff
1: in a competing industry. Don't you wonder so. why it's legal in the United States?
2: because the American government's quite happy to have their workers treated like dirt. Yeah,
1: it, it used to be
0: only for executives and high-income earners, but now roughly one in five workers are covered by these sorts of things. Um, more than half of major franchise businesses like McDonald's include no poaching agreements in their contracts. This, so if you're so a you McDonald's, can't, you can't work for Burger King. Go,
1: go flip burgers
0: for Burger Goodness King. Goodness me. This suppresses wages by reducing competition for workers. And it's one of the several reasons why wage growth has been so sluggish during the recovery. I don't know, right wing Tony, you know, if businesses are making good money and they reinvest and it all trickles down and everyone's happy, it just,
1: uh, the Amazon. If they just example, pay their workers, it's better for the economy, isn't it? $150 billion fortune.
0: Wow. It's amazing. Mm. And we've let this company into this country.
2: Exactly. It makes no sense whatsoever that we've allowed them in here. They're
0: going to ruin a bunch of Australian small businesses. Exactly. How would we have stopped them? We would have said to all these companies, uh, you need to pay a turnover tax of some sort. It's a turnover tax.
2: Where you levy tax on the turnover, the gross income, oh, not the net income. Mm. And that is the problem that we've yeah, got. And yeah. I honestly yeah. believe it's time that we actually levy tax on gross income, yeah. than the
1: income. They would be, of course, subject to Australian labour law. Yeah, they that, are. That, That's correct. So they would be. So but they wouldn't be able to get the employees signing these stupid agreements. Correct.
0: But there's no doubt they'd have them on the absolute minimum and be pushing hard through lobbying and whatever to have... The number's cranked down, so they're just a big bully. And will they pay tax in Australia? No, they won't. They won't pay tax because any profit they make, they'll just have a licensing fee uh, payable to Amazon Singapore or something like that, which will mean that Amazon Singapore makes the money and Amazon Australia doesn't make any. As Apple does, apparently, don't
2: they? Yeah, that's right. Yep, all
0: of them. So... You shouldn't we have should let them levy,
2: in. That's why we should levy tax on gross income. Yeah.
0: On these big multinationals, we should say, once you've reached a certain size, um, we uh, can do this to you.
2: I don't think it should even just be a size thing. I think it should mm. just work on... Yeah. You well, at
0: least for starters, and then people could get used to the idea. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah I suppose, but, yeah. you, know. you know. And guess what? They came here despite our current tax rate, so we didn't need to drop the tax rate for them to come. They're happy to come anyway, because they knew they weren't going to pay it. That was always the bleeding obvious, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. So, right. Um, We've talked before about universal basic income. I've just got a link to an article where Ontario, Canada, um, had a bit of a trial. There's a few trials have been going on around the world, dear listener, and this one got cancelled shortly after it started, but that seems to be because the government changed from um to a Conservative government and they cancelled the program early. Yeah,
2: but the Tories are gonna to have to realise that you've got to have a you've got to have to have a functioning market you need to have a well paid consumer class that can then afford to spend money with the business class. And if you do not have that, which you are rapidly heading towards Then you're going to end up with a functioning, a malfunctioning system that will fail. Mm.
0: Yep. If you want people to buy your widgets, you've got to you've got to give them money. Yeah.
2: Yep. And you know, you've got a situation with Jeff Bezos being worth 150 billion dollars. It's not a difficult sell to sit these guys down and say, "Look, you're going to have to pay more to actually give everyone a universal basic income. Otherwise, we can't stop them breaking down your front gate and taking your head out on a pike."
0: What will eventually happen?
2: It's what will happen, yeah. If they, don't, if they mm. do not consent to having a universal basic income, that's what will happen.
0: I'm in the middle of a book. Well, actually, I'm at the beginning of the book. Mm. But it's basically talking about the waves of inequality throughout human history. And uh, at different times, inequality has peaked and then it's changed to a bit more of an equal sort of social structure. And... Apparently, the thesis of the book is that that's always precipitated by violence. So, Exactly. Mm, so, when I've finished the book, I'll let you know, but that's the one I'm trying to work on at the moment.
2: Mm. It's, it's, you know, the violence of the French Revolution, the violence of the Russian Revolution. This is where we're headed.
0: Mm. Right. Uh, there's an Aussie genius, Ashkay Venkatesh, who won um, a medal in mathematics... Um, I think it's called the Fields Medal or something like that. It's kind of the... In the mathematics field, it's like the Nobel Prize. It's the Fields Medal, known as the Nobel Prize for mathematics. And I only mentioned it for this one quote from it that I really liked. Uh, His former classmate and now professor of mathematics at the University of Western Australia, Michael Guducci, said explaining his work to the general public was hard. If it was... Easy for me to explain, then he wouldn't have received the field medal. <laughs> <as I could laughs> you so, anyway, we've got uh, an Aussie who's pretty good at maths. Mm.
2: Well done. I hate maths, but anyway. <laughs> an accountant who hates maths. What's going on, Scott? No, I mean, accounting is easy maths. You just got yeah, a percentage, good. you got to add up, subtract. It's easy. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Right. Did you guys listen to the. Interview the podcast Sam Harris and Coleman Hughes.
2: Um, I have listened to a, little, a fair bit of his stuff lately. Yeah,
0: Coleman Hughes is my new favourite article writer. Um, unbelievably good. I think he's overtaken Kevin Malik temporarily okay. the Yeah, so he's an African American writing about Black American culture.
2: Yes, I did hear that podcast. Yes.
0: So, we've quoted from the Quillette um, online magazine a lot, Mm. and he's one of the writers there. And so, I've got a link to where those articles are, and sure, look, you get a far better version of this on the Sam Harris podcast, so make sure you listen to that one. But I'm going to try and give some of the ideas, and then we're going to talk about Aboriginal affairs in Australia, and apply... ...those ideas and see where we end up. (laughs) In a world of pain, probably. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Uh, He's all about... So he's African-American and he's criticising African-American culture... ...or at least saying it's it's the cause of a lot of problems. Where people are talking about systemic racism, he's saying, hang on a minute there's a lot of cultural issues in the black community which are also causing problems here. So they talk about how income levels between African-Americans and white Americans are are starting to get uh, more equal and people say, "Oh, well, the reasons why um, African-Americans haven't caught up in the wealth asset race is that they've been left out of the the housing market booms and they're sort of locked out of them. So, yeah, uh, incomes are getting more equal, but uh, wealth is still a problem because it's only happened recently and haven't been able to catch up. But he gives the example of other ethnic groups, and one of them was the Japanese-Americans who were interned during the Second World War. And until 1952, Japanese-Americans were barred from owning land in 14 states. Um, And there was 120,000 of them interned during the... Interned or interned? Interned. Interned. Thank you. During World War II. But by uh, 1970, census data shows Japanese-Americans out-earning nearly every other demographic, including Anglo-Americans. So, despite... And, you know, again, Asians are obvious in the sense of an ethnic difference that you can see, and they've managed to go okay. One of the other ones, he said, is that there's a big difference between African-American and Caribbean-Americans. That was interesting,
2: wasn't it? It was really interesting. Very interesting, yeah.
1: Um, Because they have pretty similar historical origins. Yes.
2: Well, the Caribbeans were slaves, Hmm. yeah.
0: And they come to America and have a, a very different cultural approach, obviously. And in, they seem and to they achieve higher yes. income levels, don't So he was describing um, where your African-Americans have this problem of um, males especially, you know, not wanting to look white by... If they perform well academically, they're accused of pretending to be white, whereas that same cultural... Stereotype wasn't happening in the Caribbean um, Americans, so and consequently their income and wealth is not a problem. They're doing they're doing fine. They're equal to or above uh, normal Anglo-Saxon Americans.
2: Well, that was the whole yeah, thing, thing. Normal, that, but uh, yeah. in that podcast they said mm. that they're basically all the shopkeepers.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And look. This part of the thing is that people on the left are continually talking about how important culture is, but when it comes to disparities between the performance of different races in economic terms, they're just loathe to allow culture to have any effect on that. Yeah. it
2: is so much easier I, to point the finger at race. Yeah. I, I, well,
1: ironically, I, they're right. Culture is it, centrally it, important, but what it, they what they seem to get wrong is they think uh, all cultures are equal, equally uh, capable of facilitating um, uh, flourishing in human it, society. Yes, at the same rates. Yeah, I work for a Jewish
0: family, so I've had a fair bit to do with them over the years, and. And I've met other Jewish families in other circumstances. They have their Shabbat every Friday night, where the families get the extended families get together, have meals, etc. But I, I, it's just part of Jewish culture to talk business. Like they swap business happenings and ideas and information and stuff all the time. So um, it's a stereotype for sure, but. Uh, it's there, and there's no doubt about it. They are great business people, and it's part of their culture
1: because you talk about it all the time, and you discuss it, and you swap ideas. You are going to be better at it. Do you, Do you think that's because those particular people are directly involved in business, or do you extrapolate that I across? Extrapolate the it out, community?
0: even if they're medical specialists, or if they're involved in the arts, or what they, they talk about the business of. Being a medical specialist, mm. and and how to make more money from it, and how to have little sidelines going, and and other stuff. I think it's a cultural thing that it's it's what they do, and so they talk about it more, and they swap information, and mm. and become more expert at it. So,
1: and are they um, like practicing religious Jews?
0: Um, they are, but it doesn't, it,
1: you know. I think a lot of
0: in, in the Jewish faith, I think it's. It's more the formalities of it without a lot of... I don't think it affects their day-to-day thinking too much. It's Mm. sort of on special occasions, Okay, we'll swap our brain into this mode, but then quickly switched off and into other modes. It's not... uh, That's my impression. But again, all generalised stereotypes, but, hey, that's what we're on about here at the moment. Some of the things that this Coleman Hughes also mentioned was spending habits... So, again, back to America, black women, um, so just 14% 14 more likely to own a luxury vehicle compared to a white woman. 16% more likely to have costume jewellery. 9% more likely to have fine jewellery. 62% of whites own a smartphone. At the same time, 71% of blacks owned a smartphone. Um... So, for whites and blacks of comparable income, blacks would spend, on average, 17% less on education, but 32% more on visible goods. Bling and cars and stuff. <laughs> so, um, so some cultures teach wealth building better than other cultures. Um, so, he also gave another... Interesting example was um, trying to fix this. And his example was where if somebody's um, a pedestrian is struck by a car and the car's driven by Bill Gates, got lots of money. So there's no um, difficulty in extracting money from the car driver who is at fault, let's say. So a car driver at fault hits the pedestrian and it's Bill Gates as the driver. So you get as much money as you need. But with your injuries, there are many injuries where the money can't fix it. It requires you to undergo physio, to work through it, to stretch, to exercise, to build up you know, muscle or work away scar tissue or whatever, there are just some injuries that money can't fix and that you yourself have to heal yourself as you know, work at it. And if we're talking about cultures that are performing poorly economically, then throwing all of the money in the world at it isn't necessarily going to fix it. That the culture itself needs to examine itself and work harder at
1: changing itself. You like that idea, I think I know where you're going with this. Where am I going? Indigenous Australia. Yeah. So
0: Indigenous Australia is calling for, you know, uh, recognition and the Constitution and special rights and all the rest of it. And if it's a bad idea to give them all those things, we'll talk about that. But ultimately the cultural problems of, what's it called when, you, when you're um, scabbing off your family, friends in the Aboriginal? Hum, humbugging? Humbug. yeah. Humbug, yeah These like sorts that. of, if, if the humbugging is still there, mm. then the problems are, are still there. And if you're in the middle of nowhere with nothing to do, then the problem is still
1: there. Yeah. These are th- issues that money can't fix. And of course, consumption is, is, is one sort of uh, strategy for relieving boredom and frustration, isn't it? Yeah. So he gave the example of uh, Irish-Americans uh, in
0: 1905. They lagged behind on many criteria. Uh, for example, they were five times more likely to be incarcerated than a German-American. Um, so... You're picking on the Irish now.: Oh yeah, picking on everybody. so <laughs> um, community and church leaders worked on it. Change the culture in the Irish Americans. Mm. Um, so uh, he's saying in this article, Coleman Hughes, that preferential policies have never worked. And he makes the distinction here that the left refuses to accept culture, may have a negative <clears throat> aspect. The right acknowledges culture has a role, but minority cultures don't want to hear that from the right. Mm. Uh, he also talks about the disparity fallacy, so, which holds that unequal outcomes between two groups must be caused by discrimination, whether overt or systematic. So when you're measuring different groups, oh, there's a difference. One group's doing worse than the other. Oh, it must be because of discrimination. Um, He says it's applied narrowly as instances of white underperformance uh, don't draw the same conclusion. Um, Mm. For example, if a family income is the same um, uh, and then the the kids grow up and become adults, white men outperform black men on college attendance and income. But black women outperform white women on the same measures. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, And the thing is, groups will never be the same. It'd be extraordinary if you measured these groups and they actually did end up the same. So when differences occur, you have to say, well, Mm. there are going to be some.
1: He advocates against, um, what do they call it in America, Um, where they allocate college places to people of different ethnicities. um, Affirmative action, yeah. And he's he's, uh, he's um, against that, isn't he? Is that right? Affirmative action, mm. yep. Yep,
0: mm. He's, uh, he is against that. So he says preferential policies have never worked. Mm. Yeah. So we've got two dogmas. Uh, the disparity fallacy, that if there's a difference, it must be because of discrimination. And the other dogma is the, de- den- the denial of cultural explanations. Mm. Um, uh, let me just see here. Um, So, for example, there's no problem talking about problems with American gun culture and saying this is a problem in our culture. But uh, you can't do the same with minority culture. It's a big Mm. no-no. We go on there, though. (laughs) Because we're following him at this stage. (laughs) (laughs) You're You're not fearful? No. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Sowell, S-O-W-E-L-L, there's a quote from him. A newborn baby enters the world supplied with prepackaged grievances against other babies born the same day.
1: <laughs> true. It is true. Yeah. In some cases. Yeah.
0: So, with those thoughts in mind... Mm. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s son, I guess Martin Luther King III, was visiting Australia and said, You're not a great country, but you can only become truly great when you treat your fellow human beings with dignity, respect and love. Mm -hmm. My dad tried to show us that model in the United States and he says he's embarrassed by the Indigenous treatment in Australia. Mm -hmm. His dad said... Judge people by the content yes. of their character, Didn't not he? by the colour of their skin. Famously,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I th- I think he's got a bit of a, a bit of a cheek coming here and saying things like that to us. Uh, I mean, how much does he know about the 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 history of Australian government attempts <coughs> to?
0: He's looked at the sad state of Indigenous affairs and gone, well, that's because of
1: discrimination. Yeah, because there's a difference yes. in the culture. So here. it's an, it's an assumption not yes. anything based on facts or uh, research. You could not point to one law
0: that, that says uh, we're treating blacks in a poorer way in no. this
1: particular law if you, in, in any sense, that you're disadvantaged. Some people w- will point to the intervention under the Howard government which did suspend anti-discrimination law um, in, an, in an effort to address... Uh, sexual abuse, and you know they were just dis- they were you know going into Aboriginal communities and finding kids with venereal diseases right. and things yes. like that. So, yeah. and he sent the army in, fam- uh, didn't he? If you he might sent recall the army, in. Yeah. and that was to to how, build stuff. I mean, the, the army overre- was how it, over- it was the army engineers. They exactly. went in and they were building houses and stuff. Yeah. And in other words, they were trying to do constructive stuff. But he did suspend. Anti-discrimination law, and a lot of people, perhaps quite correctly, would say that was discriminatory.
2: It was discriminatory. I don't mm-hmm. think there's any doubt about that. I mean, he—I remember seeing Liberals in Power, which was a series of documentaries that the ABC did after the end of the Howard government, and the Malbruff was the Indigenous Affairs Minister at the time. And he said he went in to see John Howard. No, they they went in to have a cabinet meeting because the Northern Territory government had hidden this report and blah, 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 blah. And they eventually got, extracted the report from them. And they sat down and apparently Howard sat down He said, and he said, I think I want to get rid of the grog. And they all sort of looked at him and said, well, you can't do that, Prime Minister. He said, why not? Mm (laughs) So... That's what he did. He dis- he suspended the anti-discrimination laws so that you could actually say, no, you can't buy grog. Mm. But was that saying that blacks
0: can't buy grog? or was that saying that anyone in this town in can't, this town can't yeah, buy grog, yeah, happen to be all black, they I happen guess. to be all black?, yes. it would have applied equally to any white person in the town. Exactly. if there
2: were any. If there, but there weren't mm. any you know, mm. it, it was mm. I've no doubt that the intervention mm. was racist, yes however, you know, you've got a situation that um, – and I remember this quite clearly from the interview. Mm-hmm. Mal Brough was actually crying when he said this. He says, you know, he said, you went in there and they had discovered evidence of child sexual abuse in 100% of cases. Mm. And he said – and he sat there and he cried and he said, and people don't think this shit happens. Mm. And he was right. You know, he – I – I think the intervention was probably justified. It was wrong, it was cruel, but it was right. If I was
0: one of those kids, I'd want the intervention. Absolutely mm. you would, yeah. Mm-hmm. There we
2: now, go. It is one of those things that's it's, it's, it's really it's, hard to it's really hard to mm. put it put it right, put it right, Look, but I all, think it had to
1: be done. Yeah, we all know that um, you know there there are definite problems, but uh, as you indicated before Trevor Culture seems to be at the core of it. So
0: culture, and and for me, part of that culture is is this insistence of the attachment to the land. Exactly. And if the land's in the middle of effing nowhere, and there's nothing to do, it's mm. a recipe for
2: disaster. Yeah. And then is the you know, I mean, I know Tony Abbott was hauled down for saying it, but he's right mm. when he said that you know you can't just continue to support people to live in a, in a lifestyle that they wish to become a casteist.
1: Yeah. And not only that, but um, a lot of people, not only Indigenous people, but a lot of probably well-meaning, um, you know, non-Indigenous supporters of Indigenous people are putting Indigenous culture up on a pedestal. This is the problem. Yeah, this is the problem. And Indigenous culture, you know, if, if we're honest about it, was a Stone Age culture and And it was not the sort of culture that would uh, foster social advancement, let's be real.
0: We've got to acknowledge that there are aspects to it that are not helpful in the modern society where people need to live Mm. and if you want to live here successfully,
1: you're going to have to discard some of those cultural aspects.
2: They they are going to have to. I mean, it's...
1: We were talking about this on the way over, and and I said to Scott, "Look, you know, our ancestors were doing pretty much the same thing, uh, even in Europe, you know, mm-hmm. more than ten thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, do we have any particular attachment to that culture ten thousand years ago? No, I don't we think don't. so. And it's not as if Ab- Aboriginal Australians." Uh, are obliged to hang on to the, the you know the, every well, every aspect well, of that.
0: Well, well they're told traditional they're not,
1: culture. They're told they
0: should; otherwise, they're not our true Aboriginal. Well, yeah, this is part You're of it. You're not it's genuine. The identity politics yes. mixed in with it. Yes, if you want to be a true uh, Aboriginal, then you must take yeah. on board all yeah. of these things and hold them close to your heart. And yeah, that's right.
2: Why? So, I mean, so it's. it's one of those things, like you know, we were talking about dancing in the dust and all
1: that sort of thing. Mm. It doesn't. And this word "pride," you know, comes up a lot, doesn't it? And they say, "Proud to be Indigenous," yeah. "Proud to be Australian," "Proud to be Irish," "Proud to be whatever." And look, I I had a conversation with a colleague a couple of years ago, and and he he was a keen cyclist, and he used to go cycling out, you know, in the the outskirts of Brisbane you know, early on a Saturday morning and he'd show us his photos on Monday of the beautiful sunrise and mm. he would say, makes me proud to come from this part of Australia. And I, and I said to him, why would you take pride in something over which you have no control, <laughs> you can take no credit, yes. and it's just a... Better a a, chance. Was he proud to be right-handed? I don't know. Was, was he proud but, to be redhead? But he basically, he, be... he walked away from me and he said, no, I'm not getting into this conversation <laughs> with you, Paul. <laughs> Good on you. Good on you, twelve man. I oh, have the same... Have we ever discussed this pride word before? I don't know, but it's been, it's been something I've yep, sort of I... had, a, had a problem with for a long time because I, have, I think it's stupid. I have as well, yeah. People it's just I'm, stupid. I'm, proud. Yes. I mean, why would I be proud to be Australian? I'm grateful to be Australian. Yes, but, yeah. look, I I think and, pride is a, just a strange concept. I yes. agree with you, Paul. If Port? you haven't achieved yeah. something yourself, yeah. then there's nothing yes, to be Yes, exactly. Of. I mean, obviously, yeah. if, if, if it's some something that's a result of your efforts, yes. then yes. pride would be understandable. And
0: under the Cam Riley free will argument, you had no choice anyway, so you don't proud
1: anyway. <laughs> that's true, so, yeah. I mean, because yeah. you had no saying yeah. it was just going to happen. But, look, you know, I mean... I'd like to see our Indigenous brothers and sisters um, live as well as anybody, you know. Um, But at some point, I think they have to let go of this... ..this this attachment to the old ways. Yes. Because, really, the old ways aren't always the best ways. Particularly in a modern society. That's right.
2: They're also going to have to... ..get over what happened to them 200 years ago.
0: Well, I just... It didn't happen to them, anyone existing... That's today. right. No, it, ha- it, it was didn't. things done by some of their ancestors to some of their other ancestors.
2: Yeah, that's very true.
0: It's very selective, sort of... Yeah. It, you know, inheriting the, the victimhood of their black ancestors without inheriting the, the guilt... Of their white ancestors is, is what's happening in an enormous number of cases. It's very selective, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Are and we going to have any listeners after this podcast? Cause, uh, well, yeah. who knows? Yeah. But we're willing to take that <laughs> yeah, chance, right. aren't we?
2: We'll find out whether or not patrons stick with us yeah. next yeah. week. But, uh,
0: yeah. Hey, um, so let's talk a little bit about the Uluru statement. So
2: You had never read the Uluru statement yeah. until you sent it to me.
0: So, are you guys on the email list for? The rationalists? Mm.
2: No, I do have to get myself on that, though. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. So Meredith's the um, the curator of that and makes the comments. And uh, she, I think, uh, well, she referred to the Uluru Statement, said she herself hadn't read it until just the other day, and looking at it, thought, oh, it's not unreasonable. And... We need to address some of that. So heading in that direction, uh, I've got the Uluru Statement here and I'll read, I'll read bits of it. It's only one page. So this is a statement put together by Aboriginal leaders some time ago. It was and quite recently, wasn't it? Well, it was, um eighteen months, two years, something like no, that. I believe, yeah, it? something like that. I think. Was it that
1: long I ago? I think so. No, twenty seventeen national oh, constitutional we go. convention. A year ago. Yep. We
0: gathered at the twenty seventeen national constitutional convention, coming from all points of the southern sky, make this statement from the heart. Mm-hmm. All points of the southern sky.
1: Yeah.
2: What does that mean? Yeah. It means to come from the great. Southern They're in the southern land. hemisphere.
1: But that's not all points of the southern sky no, coming from. All <laughs> Do you know the Brazilians yeah. also that's have at least the, of the problems with this? The Southern Cross <laughs> on their flag. Did you
0: were you aware of that? Uh, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah it doesn't surprise me. Um, actually, Cam Riley on his podcast had a very interesting tale about the American flag coming from something like the Dutch East India Company or something like that. It's an amazing re- resemblance. Is that the, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I've, we've diverged. You've, you've, we've got one, state, one sentence into this. And <laughs> we make this statement from the heart, colon, and then goes on. Uh, basically a paragraph saying we were here first. And then the second paragraph says, and this is a bit I want to take up with Meredith, this, this sovereignty is a spiritual notion, the ancestry tie between the land or mother nature and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who were born therefrom. Remain attached to there, remain attached thereto and must one day return thither to be united with our ancestors. This link is the basis of the ownership of the soil, or better, of sovereignty. It has never been ceded or extinguished, and coexists with the sovereignty of the crown. Sorry, that's not the paragraph I was thinking about, because that's really claiming sovereignty again, because we were here first.
2: But they're doing that on the spiritual basis. With um, mm.
0: yeah, now where was the spiritual line? I was just. Uh, because I'm reading this and we're deep into our second hour on the
1: night
0: <laughs> of August and I didn't have this bit highlighted. Um,
1: uh, I like the next paragraph after that one. It says, how could it be otherwise that peoples possessed a land for 60 millennia And this sacred link disappears from world history in merely the last 200 years, question
0: mark? Yeah, Yeah, actually, it was that paragraph, the one before. This sovereignty is a spiritual notion. So, basically, all Aboriginal people all think the same about this issue and we all think spiritually about it. Oh, you're including yourself in that group now? Well, uh, no, I'm quoting them. Oh. Kind of paraphrasing their quote. So, we all think, we all Aboriginal people yes. all think the same way and we all think spiritual. Well, you, you don't all think the same no. way. There'd be a huge divergence in that. And, this, you know, the rationalists, if any other group had come out with spiritual notions, would have poo pooed it. It's a bit If it was surprising, Christians saying this, it? it's a bit surprising. It, it's, it's sort of hands off the Aboriginal spiritual hmm. world, it's untouchable. But it's the same sort of spiritual mumbo-jumbo as the Christians. can't give it a free pass. No.
2: No, you shouldn't give it a free pass.
0: Yeah. Uh, basically, uh, if I'm right about this, they call for the establishment of a First Nations voice enshrined in the Constitution... And that's always been a bit vague as to what they mean, Mm. but it seems to be some special body of Aboriginal people in our parliament who get to be specially consulted and perhaps have some sort of rights, of veto or otherwise, as laws are passed in our parliament, membership of which uh, would be for a certain group of Aboriginal people. How
1: that's determined, who knows? I heard one Aboriginal... um Presumably, because you've got black skin. But Spokesperson say that they didn't want veto over all Australian law. They just wanted advisory powers uh, with relation to anything that affected Indigenous people. So if there's an uh,
0: an act of parliament, they say, well,
1: before that goes ahead, you
0: need to sit in a room with us for three days and and talk about it. Um, Can't stop you, but we insist that you talk. I wish I could say to the parliament, you need to speak to me for three days before you pass
1: a law. Mm-hmm. But, but <coughs> what sort of law would, would exist or be passed oh, or be I'm, tabled that would only affect Indigenous uh, Australians? I think
0: not only, but just if in passing it happened to also affect them. Hmm. Virtually any law could hmm. be construed that way. So this is a racist policy that only certain people of a certain skin colour or a certain ethnicity... Hmm get to do something. Yeah. Whatever happened to treating people equally?
2: Well, and this it's... is the point me and Paul made in the car ride on the way over here. We were saying that um, Noel Pearson, who's out there saying the most outrageous things, saying the Turnbull government's got to do this. Mm. The Turnbull government can put it to a referendum, but I can tell you now it's going to fail. Mm. And when it fails, they're just setting themselves up for another round of, oh, you know, it failed because Australians are racist. Mm. It's not because Australians are racist. It's because we can <laughs> we can tell that we're being uh, we're being fed something that's nonsense. Mm. Yeah. So Richard Flanagan
0: is a, a writer, twelfth man. I don't think you were that impressed with his was, recent writings.
1: I was um, significantly unimpressed.
0: <laughs> He said the Uluru Statement was modest in its proposals, but it demands a radical recognition of who we are. We are not a nation. We are a state divided by race and refusing to acknowledge history. What better solution for a state divided by race than to special, set
1: up a special body based on race? Are we a state divided by race? I wasn't aware of that. Were you I wasn't aware, aware of
2: that, that no.
0: Coleman Hughes, come to Australia and start
1: talking, please. Yeah, go and talk to Richard Flanagan and um, Noel Pearson. Yeah. But, yeah. God. But the the language Richard Flanagan used for a professional writer was so fluffy and lacking in substance, didn't you Mm. think? Yeah.
0: I only read bits of it. I think I just looked for the quote that you had mentioned to me. I couldn't. Stomach the rest. <laughs> hey, I've, I've only recently subscribed to the Australian. I've got a, I've got a,
1: <laughs> my, my stomach's a, a bit weak at the moment. It's a bit sensitive. <laughs> now, we mentioned before but about... That w- sorry if I can go mention. On, yeah, go on, that, w- that was published on uh, a blog that you like. Oh, was that on the John Menagey It was.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, that's okay. That's okay. You don't have to like everything. Exactly. A diversity opinion is fine. Of course.
0: Very good. Um, We would previously talked about prayers in Parliament. Yeah. And you, Twelfth Man, said, well, if we're going to get rid of prayers in Parliament, how about the acknowledgement of country in there as well? And Catter's Australia Party Senator Fraser Anning says the daily acknowledgement of country in the Senate should be abolished instead of... Well, he says instead of the prayer reading, Oh. he's triggered a rebuke from the Greens, and in but response,
1: the Greens were the ones who petitioned uh, for the removal of the prayer. Exactly,
0: but they don't with the removal of the acknowledgement of country. So right. it's Green Senator Lee Rhiannon who moved the motion about removing the prayer. Said, "quote To want to abolish the acknowledgement of country is deeply insulting." <laughs>
1: Oh, dear.
2: <laughs> and you wonder why I said not, well, there's breath in my yeah, lungs about the Greens.
1: <laughs> but are they any worse than uh, the Labor Party in that respect? Yeah, I don't know. I think they are. Fraser Anning, he's quoted
0: worse. as saying... Here's his quote. As leftist virtue signalling of the worst kind, this secular genuflection... To prior Aboriginal occupation creates a hierarchy of citizenship in which those who have come to Australia later have their rights to be here devalued, the logical extension of which is to require recent immigrants to humbly acknowledge the superior rights of earlier settlers. Dead right. Dead right. These are all uncomfortable issues, but equality of everybody
1: is just the primary goal. Well, how do you feel uh, in terms of your attachment to country? Trevor, do you feel your this this suburb that you live in uh, is this your country? And do you would you you know demand uh, or do you perform a welcome to country Smoking when you have ceremony? Pe- people <laughs> over for a barbecue or a pizza? No, I don't no, think No, I'm being a bit flippant, yeah, I know. Think, but yeah, yeah. look, I've thought about this and you know how you you come across people, you know, of European ancestry and including people in my own family, you know, um, who who want to go back to Europe and and look for their roots. I've never had any inclination to do it, I have to say. You know, mm.
2: I am the same. I I've got no desire. I mean, I did get it when I was in Scotland the first time. Yeah. Me and Brian went through the um we went through the little village where my grandmother left from mm-hmm. and that was nice, but you know my overwhelming impression of the place was, well, thank God they actually decided to leave you know <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, i mean it's
1: it's not that I wouldn't want to go and visit some of the places my ancestors came from because i 'm um, just a curious person i'd love to go and visit those places along with a whole lot of others yeah but I've always felt Australian. I've never felt Irish or German or English or anything like that. Exactly. Have you?
2: That is is the whole point that I've often. Mm. I've I've always felt I felt that I was born. Completely Australian.
1: Born Um, here. Yeah. Several generations of my family born here. I've just always felt I belonged to this country, Mm. in a sense, if I belong anywhere. Mm. Mm. And maybe not anywhere. You know what I mean. I mean, I love travel and I, I've, yeah. I've lived in one foreign country and, and loved living there. So I wasn't particularly homesick. But so, why do some people have this uh, longing for some sort of cultural roots?
0: I don't know. I mean, you know, there's a white Anglo Saxon male of privilege you couldn't possibly understand. Apparently. There you go.
1: That'd be the answer.
2: Why have you got you know Yanks saying I'm an Irish American, I'm an Italian American, you know, you're an American, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. And
1: and that's becoming common here as well, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. They is. say an, an an Indigenous Australian, a Muslim Australian, a Jewish Australian. And it's usually one of those three, isn't it? Mm. If you anything else, you're just Australian. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean we just thinking back to that Colin Hughes. You know, like the Vietnamese immigrants that came with nothing, but like absolutely nothing, identifiable as a racial group who could be discriminated against just on sight. But they're going great guns.
2: Exactly, they Mm. really are. Yeah,
0: Yeah. 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 I only just thought of them there. Oh, where are we up to? Well, we've probably finished our second hour. I just, you know, I mentioned my favourite, newest favourite author is this Coleman Hughes. I do have one other favourite um, author is a guy who writes in um, – In. his name is Omer H-A-Q-U-E Haki, something like that, um, and I think it's in Medium, and he writes a lot on capitalism and socialism and stuff, and I should have quoted some of his stuff when I was talking to Right Wing Tony because – He really gives it to capitalism and he says, you know, this myth that capitalism has saved the world is just crap, is what he's saying. So he talks about the Industrial Revolution. Basically, it wasn't the capitalism of the Industrial Revolution. It was the scientific method that came about at that time that created the progress that was enjoyed. And... um, Comes out with some really good lines about, um, uh, let me just see here, Uh, talking about vaccines, for example. You know, how was that discovered? It wasn't capitalism that did that. It was just a doctor uh, in a hospital in London who noticed that people who worked with cows funnily seemed to develop a natural resistance to cowpox. So... Um, How were antibiotics discovered at St Mary's Hospital in Paddington? A researcher was doing experiments on a totally unrelated subject. One day, some mould spores, to his astonishment, killed the bacteria in his Petri dishes. How was chemotherapy discovered by doctors at Yale who thought the mustard gas bombs might also treat cancer since they seemed to inhibit cellular activity? Didn't know that. So, history teaches us over and over again, it takes complex, interwoven sets of public goods to yield genuine breakthrough. But capitalism simply can't afford them. Only a society can. Probably only a democracy capable of reinvesting a surplus in itself. The thing about Tony often talks about socialism in a sort of a totalitarianism socialism rather than a democratic Socialism? Well, you know what
2: Lenin called democratic socialists, don't you? No. Useful idiots. right. (laughs) (laughs) Did he really? He did, yeah.
0: Good quote. (laughs) Very good. Um, uh, Anyway, if you're interested in well-written articles about why we need to be thankful for the public services we have and how capitalism isn't what's led to that, but it's the mutual cooperation of people in a functioning society that's led to it. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. Read some of Ume Hake. Right, gentlemen, we've come to the end of our second episode. Already? Which is episode 160. And any other further comments? Mm. If something extraordinary happened in the last seven days and we haven't referred to it, it's because this episode
1: was pre recorded. <laughs> so, Indeed. Uh, I'm looking yeah.
2: forward to our hate mail over our yeah, indigenous I'm affairs things.
1: Curious about what might come our way. Yeah. Yep.
0: All right, dear listener, thanks for hanging in with us and we will be back
2: next week. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you again next week. See ya.